Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hi. Well, hello. It's cold in here. It's it's a bit chilly in the United States right now. Yeah, yeah. Overall, very cold and snowy. Cold and snowy. Yeah. That about wraps it up. 2021 is just throwing some curveballs. They're cold curveballs. <laughs> I don't like them. It is a chilly game. <laughs> So, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us. Because, did we mention the theater moves around? It's never in the same place twice. And it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. Yeah, I think that's the best part of this uh, whole ordeal is it's even kind of a mystery for us each night what we're going to dive into. And I mean, I guess maybe pun intended, tonight we got to dive into a really fun one and... uh, week to week it's it's something new and I love that you know some weeks it's exactly what this week's is which is basically one of the greats and then you know next week or any other week you know it could be (laughs) one of the worst but also comically one of the worst and I love how week to week it's going to be completely different for us yeah that's what's exciting is we get to watch basically whatever we want So, of course, we had to figure out what we were going to watch first for our first few episodes. So for our first movies, we are going with the classics and have deferred to one of the definitive names in horror culture and are using online horror magazine Bloody Disgusting's list of the best horror movies of all time. And this week, we're doing one of my favorite movies of all time, Jaws. Yeah, I knew going into this week that, of course, this one is your favorite. And this one I've seen many times before. It's never disappointed, and it never will. So I was already super excited going into this week. Like you said, just going into a classic and really getting to get in deep and analyze it for the first time. I've never really kind of broken it down before. Yeah, of course, I was absolutely excited that we were going to be doing this movie as one of our firsts. I, of course, am such a fan that I'm going to have to try and keep myself in check and not be like the total nerd who every little scene gives you a factoid. (laughs) Because I I know them all and I want to share them all. Yeah. Uh, But not everybody wants to hear that. Well, I'm sure we all do. We maybe just don't have the time for it. (laughs) Let's put it that way. I have a hair appointment. <laughs> As somebody that has heard all the factoids that you have, I can vouch and say they are very interesting. 
every single one of them. Every single time you hear them, in <laughs> fact, they are interesting. Uh, but yes, we just don't always have time for all of them. But some of them we do. Okay. So that's what we're going to get into tonight. So I can do a few. A f- of course you can. Thank you. <laughs> I'll even sprinkle in a little more than a few for you. You're too kind to me. <laughs> you know what? I say treat yourself. <laughs> treat yourself to a few more fun factoids. I'm going to do it. It's, I'm, I'm going to do it. It's your Friday. You know what? Go wild. All right. I'm in this. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, of course, I got to at least start out and give you the wiki. So Jaws is a 1975 American film directed by Steven Spielberg and based on Peter Benchley's 1974 novel of the same name, although there are vast differences between the two stories. It stars Roy Scheider as police chief Martin Brody, Richard Dreyfuss as marine biologist Matt Hooper, and Robert Shaw as shark hunter and all-around son-of-a-bitch salty sea captain Quint. The screenplay is credited to Benchley, who wrote the first drafts, but it was actor-writer Carl Gottlieb, who actually played Meadows in the film, who rewrote the script alongside Spielberg during principal photography. The film was supposed to be released for Christmas 1974 because nothing says happy holidays like a giant fish that wants to eat your face off. Exactly. Put a Santa hat on it. Make it spooky. Holidays. Merry Sharkmas. (laughs) Exactly. Ho, ho, ho. I'm gonna eat your face off. (laughs) (laughs) It's catchy. It is. I'm sure the kids will love it. Because shooting went way over schedule, the release was pushed back to the summer of 75. Back then, the summer was traditionally when the worst movies were released to die a slow, empty theater death since most Americans typically spent the summer months enjoying the outdoors. I'm so glad we're all just fat and lazy now. Me too, because it seems so weird to me to not have summer blockbusters. Yeah, But that's how it was. I mean, the summer was for vacation and getting out and doing things. And now we just binge Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, it's so funny how nowadays movies are so intertwined to our outings. You know what I mean? Like, even whenever we go on vacations, people will go and see a movie while they're there. Or they will. They'll stream stuff while they're there. So, yeah, it's it's so much, it's just so much more intertwined into our now lives than it was then. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and you're right. It's hard to imagine a, a time where you didn't have these huge summer movie releases. Mm-hmm. But back then, that just wasn't a thing at all. But this movie ended up being such a huge success that people came in droves to see it and multiple times. The film became so popular, it stayed in theaters for a year. Let, let me put that in perspective for you. So films released today, well, prior to COVID-19, have an average theater run of four weeks. Yeah, that's wild. I've never, I can't even imagine that. Yeah, in the theater for a year. It became the first film to gross over $100 million at the box office, and the summer blockbuster was born. Basically, we can all blame Jaws for America being fat and lazy. Well, and now we know that the water is scary, so... (laughs) The water is very scary. (laughs) 
Of course, it is the winner of three Academy Awards, including Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Music. It was also nominated for Best Picture, but lost out to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So for the synopsis of Jaws, it says, When a young woman is killed by a shark while skinny dipping near the New England tourist town of Amity Island, police chief Martin Brody wants to close the beaches, but Mayor Larry Vaughn overrules him, fearing that the loss of tourist revenue will cripple the town. Ichthyologist Matt Hooper and grizzled ship captain Quint offer to help Brody capture the killer beast, and the trio engage in an epic battle of man versus nature. I love nothing more than the description of epic battle of man versus nature. It is the most epic of battles. It is. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I think this is a good place to let you know you should pause and go watch the movie and then come back and listen because we really want this podcast to not have to worry about tiptoeing around spoilers. We really want this to just be a place where we just dish it out and talk about the movie as a whole and like I said, not have to walk on eggshells and worry about spoiling anything. So again, if you haven't seen any of the movies that we talk about in each episode, pause this and go check it out. We really encourage you to anyways, so you'll understand what we're talking about when we talk about the prompts and the questions that we ask during the movie. So I think now's a good time to go check it out and then come back and join us as we discuss all the ins and outs of this crazy movie. Well, I'm ready to break it down. Are you? I am. I can't wait to hear your thoughts about certain scenes because... There's certain scenes that you quote during the movie, so I'm wondering if they're your favorite scenes or if they're just scenes that you just have watched over and over and over again. All right, well, let's get to it. So, of course, how we do this is prior to recording, we watch the movie and we take notes about certain discussion points or things that we think are interesting. And neither one of us are really the best note takers. So... It's been a few days since we did this, and it's always interesting to try and decipher what we wrote. Yeah, it's always interesting because a lot of mine is uh, shorthand that during the movie, I'm like, oh yeah, future me is going to definitely understand what this means. And then when I later on read it, I don't know what past me was thinking, but it somehow <laughs> is relevant to the movie. So yeah, it's, it's fun <laughs> to try to decipher it. Yeah, it can get pretty interesting. Uh, case in point, the very first thing I wrote down for this movie is space water. I love that. It's beautiful. It's a lovely sentiment. It really, it's quite the opener. <laughs> Which is probably why he used it in the opening of this film. No, I, I believe what I'm referring to is, you know, we start out, we are underwater. We are seeing from the point of view of the shark and it, 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 the sound is supposed to be like you are underwater. So it's got kind of that echoey kind of sound. Like but, garbled and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Then there's something else going on. It's kind of synthesized and it's just, it sounds like it's outer space. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Space water. Yeah. That makes sense. Perfect sense. Yeah. I would like to also take the time right now to request um, a side movie called space water <laughs> if we could make uh space water happen i don't even have to be on screen i really just want to watch it <laughs> all right so you're very insistent yeah yeah i mean i just want to be there you know hang out i'll wear my face mask i promise and have uh hand sanitizer whatever it's called <laughs> no that's it from now on it's sanitizer. <laughs> 
You got it. What is it? <laughs> Hanistizer. Nope. It's Hanitizer. You get it. I'll bring it. It's the good stuff. The cleans for your hands. <laughs> I just think a movie called Space Water would be really relaxing. It's like the anti-Jaws, because Jaws is very stressful. Yeah, it's it's not a chill kind of flick. But in a good way. I mean, that's what we're here for. Absolutely. So let's get back to it, because here comes that music. Stress music. It is amazing what two notes can do. <laughs> it's it, Those are the two notes. Stress music. <laughs> There's probably more than two there, but you get it. And it's become synonymous with the water. You know, you're just around the water and you're you're messing around with your friends. And sure enough, someone's going to go, da-na. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's iconic. Yeah, yeah. It really is. I mean, I think, I think it's one of those sounds that even, you know, generations that haven't even seen the movie probably still know that sound and may not even know it's from that movie. And I think that speaks volumes to, like you said, how simple those two notes have gone on to be incredibly famous. Well, so once we're done swimming around as the shark, boom, we cut to kids smoking weed. Weed teens. On the beach, hanging out, bonfire. Beach weed teens. (laughs) Bunch of hooligans. That's what they are. And then you got a couple of kids making googly eyes at each other, which of course leads to some skinny dipping. Come on. It's the natural progression of the relationship. I think we should throw a few more steps in there. Knitting. When you can... My favorite part of the courtship. (laughs) Well, hear me out. When you can knit each other a pair of socks, then you can go on to something else. If you can do that, then you can maybe go swimming together with your bathing suits on. (laughs) Well, they don't have time for all that. They don't. (laughs) Okay, and so now Chrissy is swimming out while her new beau passes out. Yeah. On the beach. So he's done. Uh, and, and she swims out like 10,000 miles from shore. Why is she, she so far out? She's very fast. I, where is she going? She's an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> she was, she's halfway to Europe. Yes. Well, little did you know that halfway to Europe is where you think you don't have sharks. Random. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> She is in the area where they have sharks because it happens. Panic at the disco. Mm-hmm. We're all panicking. <laughs> well, Chrissy is. Something is not right. Yeah, so, something's wrong. I mean, obviously, we can't see what's going on, and that's half of the issue. But the other half, it's just, it's stress. This whole scene is stressful. It's It's terribly stressful, and this is where the fear starts to instill. It, it, it plants its seed. Mm-hmm. You cannot see under the water, so you can't see what's happening. And something is grabbing her and yanking her around like a rag doll. Yeah. And it is horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of the scariest thing is you automatically think of, like, the foot, the ankle, the leg, you know, what damage is being done underneath there. And then, like you said, the rag doll part of it is it's not... It's just a, such a chaotic scene, and it's so much. And I think the fact that it's right off the top of the movie only adds to kind of the shock factor because you, you're not expecting it. You know, you're not. You haven't really built that 
up quite yet. So to completely open up the movie that way, I think only added, like I said, more shock to it because it's just, it's a wow scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. And, you know, there were always these rumors that the stunt lady who played Chrissy uh, got injured because there was like this rig that they worked up that these guys were tugging back and forth and and there there was always this rumor about how oh she sustained all this back damage and it was crippling to her and she never worked again and 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 she has come out and in a radio interview said that wasn't true but the one thing they did do for that scene that is kind of creepy is you know they they had to record the sounds of her being yanked around they didn't get audio when they were out there filming that so she had to go back and and just filmed that audio and for Spielberg to get that authenticity he actually poured water down her throat while she screamed oh my god I mean it uh, sounds super intense yeah that's uh that's dedication <laughs> to the role there's nothing like a little waterboarding to to get your film right exactly <laughs> exactly you do what you got to do for your art exactly well, now we meet Chief Brody at home. Uh, it's the Brody house. Everybody's getting up for the day. But we get one of my favorite lines that I quote all the time for no reason. <laughs> He's in the yard, not too far from the car. Yeah, all the time. No reason at all. It's just, it has a good mouth feel. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's 2021. That's what we're looking for these days, is a good <laughs> mouth feel. Try it. In the yard. Oh, oh, me try it right now? Yeah. Okay. In the yard. In the yard. Not too far. Not too far. From the car. From the car. Isn't that lovely? It's lovely. (laughs) All right. You don't get it. I can appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. So Brody gets a call that girl's missing, goes to the office. We meet the quirky side characters. We got little secretaries and he's typing up. It's a shark attack. So now he figures they got to close the beach, right? You can't let people go swimming if there's a shark that's attacking people. So he asks where the beach clothes signs are. It's like, huh? What? Beach clothes? We don't do that around here. (laughs) It's arts and crafts time. (laughs) Brody goes to get supplies for signs, but there's too much karate. (laughs) That's what I wrote in my notes. Just too much karate. Which makes sense. One of the town's people is trying to complain that the kids are chopping his fences down, but he has a, a, a bicycle tire. What is he going to do with that? Does he hit the kids with the tire? I like to think of it like, you know, those um, professors in school that like have a pointer and they like won't point at anybody with their finger. They always point with the, with those pointers and it's just aggressively stupid that they point at everything <laughs> with that stupid pointer. I love the term aggressively stupid. <laughs> You're welcome to use it anytime you want to. Thank you. <laughs> but I like to think of it as that's his pointer. That, that he only aggressively, stupidly points at people with bike tires. Well, of course, Brody gets word that there's some kids that are out swimming. And uh, he's got to go tell them to get out of the water. Because, you know, sharks. And so he's going to go out on a ferry. But here comes the government to shut <laughs> everything down womp womp (laughs) like uh nope brody sorry we're not gonna shut the beaches down that's bad for business it's getting ready to be the fourth of july we love fireworks and beaches (laughs) sharks be damned it's fine 
Everybody knows that sharks love fireworks. Plus, this was just a boating accident. Exactly. And I love how he turns to the coroner. He's like, it's a boating accident, right? The coroner is like, uh, uh, yeah, mm mm-hmm. That's... (laughs) totally plausible that is absolutely <laughs> for sure what i'm hearing you say uh-huh. yes for sure maybe probably exactly definitely did happen totally <laughs> mm-hmm. so beaches stay open and now we're back on the beach and little alex kittner is beginning to prune gross <laughs> well all right i mean we're gonna see worse so <laughs> Maybe this isn't the right movie for you. No. (laughs) But Alex needs just five more minutes in the water. Nasty kid. (laughs) And we see a man playing fetch with his dog, Pippet. Oh, Pippet. Not only is it like a cute dog, but also I love the name Pippet. Well, don't get too attached. So then I wrote that Brody thinks an old man is a shark, but it turns out it's just Harry and he wears some bad hat. Checks out. That makes I, sense. I love that he's sitting there with this bald cap swimming cap thing on with just one ear poking out. <laughs> well, that ear gets hot. That's his, <laughs> that's that's his, his cooling ear. <laughs> yes. That keeps him balanced. So kids are splashing around in the water, having a good time, and Pippet is gone. We know because we see the little stick that Pippet was fetching just float up to shore. I feel like this is a little rude. Rude? Yeah. I feel like the shark could have taken the stick and left the dog. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Well, that's not how he rolls. Of course, Pippet was just the appetizer, and down goes Alex Kittner. And his bloody little floaty washes to shore. Rest in peace, Alex Kittner. <laughs> yeah, again, I feel like this is just another thing that this movie does right. I mean, it paces the kills really well, and it's not too overdone. I mean, there is a lot of death in this movie, if you think about it. I mean, if you break down every kill in this movie, there's quite a bit, but it's not It's not ever too over the top. They're evenly paced, and they're nicely done, and I like how pretty quickly off the top you have pretty two significant deaths back to back yeah the the thing about this is it does something that still seems to be a little taboo in films which is it kills off a child uh that's that's usually the kind of thing that is avoided but what that does for the audience is it tells you this is serious and no one is safe Mm mm-hmm well, of course, with Alex's death, now we've had two deaths in a very short period of time. So cut to emergency town hall meeting and everyone is yelling. Yes. Everybody's angry. I'm sure it's very hot. A hostile situation. <laughs> well, there's a $3,000 bounty out on the shark and everyone wants to know if Brody's going to close the beaches. And he says, yes. But the mayor makes him back off and says he's only given him 24 hours. But the town is still furious. They hate it. It's it's going to basically kill their businesses. The, the way that the town makes money is off the tourism that they get, specifically over the 4th of July and summer months. Yeah, I feel like putting yourself actually in these characters' shoes, yeah, I feel like that would be such a tough decision to make because in those towns like that, 
Yeah, and when you have those tourism weekends, like you said, that's how most of them can get through the cold seasons. But at the same time, you have the decision of, you know, basically life or death. It's, I don't know, it's such, it's, it feels like a tough decision to make, but at the same time, it feels like it should be pretty easy. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, luckily, in walks the one man who claims he can help them with their little problem, and it's one of the best character introductions in movie history. Here's Quint. Yeah, this is the scene that, to this day, every single time I watch this scene, still gives me chills. Well, for you, it's those nails down the chalkboard. Yes. I always know it's coming. Like I said, I've seen this movie multiple times. And it's so bizarre because that doesn't... I mean, the few times that's happened to me in real life, like in school and stuff, never really bothered me. But for some reason in that movie, it gets me every single time. And it's such a memorable scene for me. And they were able to take something like nail scratching and add that anxiety to the fear that you're feeling throughout the movie and do it so well like that, I think is just chef's kiss. Because yeah, it leaves you on edge. Or at least it does me. I know I'm already, you know... You're being met with so many deaths so quickly in this first scene of the movie here. And then, yeah, like you said, you have this epic entrance of somebody just scratching their nails. And yeah, every single time, it just makes me cringe. (laughs) And of course, Robert Shaw, who plays Quint, is just absolutely phenomenal in this role. It just, it blows my mind that he was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He was absolutely fantastic despite the fact that he was drunk for just about all of it. Yeah, that's, again, one of those factoids that you've told me many times before, and it always blows my mind because, like you said, it, it, it it's so well done that it I can't imagine that he was that spot on and, and wasted the whole time. <laughs> well, it doesn't hurt that uh, Quint does not shy away from a bit of the spirits himself. Very true, yeah, yeah. Able to play up that character pretty good. Well, of course, Quint tells him that he will catch the shark for 3000 but he'll kill him for 10000 And he leaves his offer on the table and walks down the hall with, is it Igor? I, he's got like this little tiny, who's this little man that's with him? He's adorable. I like to think of him as the guy that's going to carry the money bag after they... <laughs> give the shark and get the money (laughs) like that's his only job and i love that he's just eager and excited about it the whole time well quentin the sidekick saunter away and after a short scene back at the brody house we now get our next attack by our shark and we got our two goofs trying to catch a 25 foot shark with the dude's wife's holiday roast it doesn't go well no again we're met with this very stressful scene. This whole movie is relentless with these scenes that just are, it, it's so stressful. And this movie does such a good job of combining a lot of times kind of these humorous either scenes or humorous lines intermixed with these scenes of stress or horror. And yeah, that scene is so goofy. Like you said, with the roast, it's ridiculous, but it's paired so well with quite obviously this uh, failure ahead of them yeah and it's it's incredibly tense but there's like you said that humor to it you know they have this roast tied to an old inner tube mm-hmm. and they toss it out and but all of a sudden you see that inner tube start to kind of 
bob and and something's trying to take it under and automatically you just kind of tense up and you're like oh here we go Mm -hmm. and it starts to take off and the chain starts going out and the line starts going out and, and and we see the guys back on the dock and it takes off with such force that the dock breaks off and one guy is attached to it and just being dragged back out to sea, basically. Mm-hmm. And finally, he's able to get off the floating dock and he starts swimming back. And all of a sudden, that dock starts to turn around. Mm-hmm. And you know that means the shark is coming back. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy starts screaming at him, you know, swim, Charlie, swim. And man, does he swim like his life depends on it. Yeah. Talk about... Again, we're panicking. The disco's happening. It's all happening. Yeah, it just stress. Well, of course, Charlie is able to get away just in the nick of time. And it is a big sigh of relief. But but yeah, still, there's that undertone of comedy to that entire scene. It's just so well done. Yeah, I think this whole movie, like I said, does such a good job of that, of pairing those and lining those up. Uh, keeps you on your toes like you're you know you never really have time to relax in in either scene you know there's not a whole lot of sentiment I guess but it doesn't it's not in a bad way like you want to experience those laughs in between those scenes of you know pretty sheer horror especially if you really do have a fear of sharks this movie just does such a good job with those one-liners and and those goofy scenes with those random silly props and yeah it's just it's great so good at it well next i just wrote down that captain kangaroo comes out to survey the land and i believe i'm referring to the harbor master uh who comes out but he's just he's got the pipe uh-huh. and he's got the little sea captain hat on you yeah. know and he's just he's just grinning and looking around at this mass chaos because of course mrs kittner has put out this three thousand dollar reward for anyone who kills the shark and and brings it in Mm -hmm. and fishermen from all over have come and (laughs) everyone thinks they're gonna bag this shark and it's it's just this scene of absolute chaos and of course in the midst of this chaos here comes my man matt hooper your favorite matt hooper is one of my favorite movie characters and i don't know if i can really pinpoint why I've just, I've always loved this character, and, and I love how Dreyfus plays this character, but I am such a fan of, a, in fact, I'm sitting here right now recording, and to my left is a Funko Pop doll that you got for me of Matt Hooper. Mm-hmm. He's just, for me, he is just iconic. So, of course, he needs to tell someone that there are way too many people in the boat. People are going to die. This is this is crazy. Uh, not safe. They're blowing stuff up and shooting into the water and screaming and they're chumming. And it is still chaos. But they're all so close together. Yeah, it's very claustrophobic. This, this is a vast ocean. Why are we all clustered in this one area? Yeah, it confuses me that they don't understand that the ocean is very is much more big. <laughs> Maybe they have separation anxiety. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't understand it either. It's like, let's spread out. Maybe, yeah, arm's length at the very least. <laughs> you can tell this is very pre-COVID because social distancing was not a thing. 
All right. So again, we have Matt Hooper here now. He is from the Oceanic Institute, and he has been called in by Brody because uh, he needs an expert. He needs to know what he needs to do about the shark problem he's got. So Hooper goes down to examine the remains, and I love this scene. I don't know what it is about it. I love the way he puts on his glasses. I love the way he asks for a drink of water, says that this was not a boating accident. It. I mean, it's so well done. Is that like one of the more iconic scenes for you from this movie was it in the trailer at all like is it that synonymous for you uh i think i remember the part where he says this was not a boating accident i i think that was in the trailer but i yeah i don't know what it is about this scene and and i don't know if it's if it's anything that really sticks out for anyone else but again i'm just such a fan of this character yeah that uh that it's just a big moment for him yeah and a big introduction it's i don't know one of my favorites well you can tell that scene is definitely meant to kind of I mean, it's set up to kind of hypnotize the audience a little bit by his presence. Like, he's coming in because he is kind of a man of knowledge, basically. Sure, he's he's the voice of reason, the man of, yeah, like you said, the man, the man who knows what's going on. He's giving you the definitive word, and if he's telling you it's dangerous, mm-hmm. oh, this is dangerous. Yeah. So out of all that chaos that was going on with all these people here fishing, trying to catch this shark... Somebody catches a shark. It's happening. It's all coming together. (laughs) It is. And all right, I got to give you a fun fact here. So that shark was a real shark. Uh, They had caught it down in Florida and had it flown up to where they were filming up on Martha's Vineyard. And they had hoisted it up on that dock. They said it smelled so bad. All of its innards had fallen forward because of the way that they had it hoisted up. And so that you just get that, oh, just that extra mm. sour. Oh God. Can you imagine? Yeah. And you know that that, you, you know, you have to think about the fact that these scenes don't, it's not one take and done. Like you're there for many long times doing scenes over and over and over again. So yeah, they're hanging out with that smell for Along, you know that they took that home with them. <laughs> they were wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, this is a shark, but Hooper doesn't think it's the shark. So he suggests that they cut it open because the shark has a very slow digestive system. And the mayor has to insist. He says, you ain't performing some half-ass autopsy on a fish so we can see that Kittner boy spill out all over the dock. Yeah, I think I gotta agree here. That's nothing that I know that I want to see. At least, I mean, take it somewhere private to do that. Because doing it right there out on the public dock, that would be mortifying. Yeah, now is not the time. Well, of course, next we get the slap heard round the world. So, Miss Kittner has found out that Chief Brody knew that the girl had been killed by the shark Mm -hmm. a few days earlier. And she's pissed that he didn't close the beaches and blames him for her son's death. Yeah, and can we talk about Miss Mammoth's outfit right here? Because I love her veil. I mean, she is in full-on mourning. Can you blame her? No, not at all. And it matches her her anger for sure. That This whole scene, you can... I mean, it radiates how angry she is. Yeah, it's it's super powerful, the fact that she is still in her mourning outfit 
and walks up and the chief has now become the focus of her rage that she has lost her son. It's, it's very powerful. And speaking of powerful, you know, they had to shoot this scene 17 times and Roy Scheider has said that when the actress who was playing Miss Kittner did the scene, she was actually slapping him every single time on one of the takes. She even knocked his glasses off. Oh, wow. I can't imagine having to sit through that that many times, like as either person, like I feel like each time, you know, if I was having to slap them, I'd be like, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Is there anything? Can I get you anything? I'll buy you. I'll buy you dinner tonight. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, I I mean, I don't think I could be the one receiving it because I I would flinch ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. Just because I knew it was coming. (laughs) Yeah. You'd never get a good take. And I mean, it's a wonder how his face wasn't so super red. Oh, actually, if you look pretty closely, you can see that it is red before she even slaps him. And that's because they had done other takes before it. Wow. 17 times. That's Yeah, that's a lot back to back to back. I can't props to them. <laughs> so now we're back at dinner at Brody's home. And I can't, this is another one of my favorite scenes. Mm -hmm. I'm just a sap for that Spielberg shit that just, (laughs) you have to have that touching moment. But this one is just so effective of, you know, Chief Brody sitting at home. He has just had a horrible day. You know, he, he's torn between what to do to, like you were saying, to save lives or, you know, do what needs to be done to keep the townspeople happy and Mm -hmm. and here now he's being blamed for the death of this child and he has just had it and there's this wonderful moment where his youngest son is sitting next to him and of course he looks up to his dad and he starts to mimic him Mm -hmm. and Brody catches on to what he's doing and so he starts to purposely kind of make funny faces and it's just it's such an adorable moment that the little kid is just so cute with his missing teeth and yeah I'm a sucker for that stuff yeah I gotta agree with you I think that is something that that he does he does well in these movies pops in those little one-off kind of wholesome moments because like you said yeah I mean as a kid we all know those moments of you know we know when our parents are angry you know when they've had a bad day I mean as much as parents try to shake that off at the door you know it comes home with them and kids can tell and you you know you're kind of trying to do your best to kind of be funny and cheer them up and yeah whenever they catch on to that that's just the best feeling and so yeah getting that glimpse into that kind of moment between a father and son is really cute and yeah I agree with you it's it's a nice relief in this movie though. I think it's it, I think it's needed. Well, absolutely, because these adorable moments are definitely few and far between. Uh, but next, here comes Hooper, and uh, he has a lot of wine. Yes, he definitely brought his own bottle, and then more bottles, and then those bottles brought some bottles, and <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it was just the two, but it it, it seemed like a lot. Uh, but he does something that is. It just makes me uncomfortable. He he di- barely knows these people, has shown up uninvited to their house, and he sits down and he's like, is anybody going to finish this food? It just helps himself. Well, maybe to him, the two huge bottles of wine is like a bartering system. And like to him, <laughs> he's just paid. That's how he's paid for that. All right. I get it. <laughs> but I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's super weird to automatically just, especially like you said, it's already like he's already pulling it over and just kind of like, 
you done with this? Yeah, it's halfway in his mouth when mm-hmm. he has. Anybody gonna? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, of course, Hooper tells him we gotta go cut open that shark, and that's exactly what they do. Uh, they cut it open, and inside the shark is a license plate and a gallon of milk. I don't know what that is. It's so milky. What is it? I don't know. I know that's something. Every time that I've watched this movie, that I've noticed is that yeah, it's such a milky. <laughs> liquid situation that I don't understand why it's in a shark. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I agree exactly, and I Plus, don't know. Do <laughs> you agree that I'm a doctor? But I'm just saying. Plus, where does a shark get milk in the ocean? Yeah, I don't know. Sea cows. But <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the one thing that is missing from this shark are any remains of Alex Kittner. Yeah, unless he turned into a license plate. (laughs) Or milk. Well, Hooper decides they need to go out on his boat and look for him because the shark is a night feeder. Can I also request a movie called Night Feeder? Space Water. You know what? Something tells me if you go look it up that that's already, that's got to be a title already. Night Feeder? Come on. How could that not be taken? I'm just saying it's too good. You're brilliant. If it's not, it's mine. I'm taking it. <laughs> dibs. I have dibs. <laughs> One, two, three, me. It's mine. So we're out on Hooper's boat and we find out Hooper is very rich. Yeah, he's got a lot of money. Some uh, very fancy boats. Lots of fancy things in the boat. Yeah, including a very fancy radar, which is picking something up. And so now, ooh, now the tension starts because what is it? Is this a shark? Are we, what's going to happen now? It's dark. We can't see anything. But turns out not shark. It's a half sunken boat. Not just any boat. It's Ben Gardner's boat. What? (laughs) Ben Gardner, local fisherman, uh, never made it back from the chaos of the fishing earlier in the day. So Hooper decides he needs to get in the water and check the hull of the boat to see if he can figure out what happened. Yeah, you know that that the tension in the scene is already. I mean, you're out there searching for a shark, so that's it's already stressful. But then you may run into the boat of of somebody that quite obviously isn't there anymore. So now we've got a shark on our hands and possibly a dead person. And all of this is very. There's a lot going on. Well, yeah, I mean, him saying that he's going to go into the water is is the same thing in any horror movie when one of your characters hears a noise and they say they're going to go check it out. It's yeah. like, our villain is in the water. Please yeah. don't get in the water. So the minute he says he's getting in the water, now you're like, ooh, this is going to be bad. <laughs> and it is, but not in the way that you expect, which makes this... Such a fantastic scare. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's underneath the boat and he finds this giant shark's tooth. And so he knows this is a big fish. But something happens and Ben Ghana is still in his boat, but it's only half of him. (laughs) Peekaboo. Peekaboo, here's my maggot eye. Surprise. I wish one there's all these like these little dangly things coming out whereas I used to be. It's yeah. like what, is it tendons, is it worms? What's happening? It's got a case of the eye dangles. <laughs> Just the eye dangles. 
But my goodness, this is such an effective it scene. Is, yes. It is definitely your your typical jump scare, but it it's so well placed and it's so well done and I you know, I don't know if it's because it is in the movie that it's in, you know, I don't I don't know, but it just it works. It works so well in the, in this scene and, I, and I, it's one that I always love. And every single time, I don't know, I, I feel like it gets me every single time, you know. I I don't I don't know how. I don't I know I don't fight it. I just I love it. <laughs> well, you know, this scene wasn't originally in the movie and it wasn't till after they had test audiences view it that Spielberg loved the moment later on in the film where we get a good scare with the shark popping out of the water that he wanted something earlier on. He got a little greedy. And so they went back and they actually shot this scene in their editor's pool in the back of her house. Oh, wow. Uh, and they, speaking of milk, they added a little milk to the water to kind of give it that murky look and uh, shot it right there in her pool. That's crazy. What did they use for the eye dangles? <laughs> That's the thing. We'll never know. I feel like they were able to share the pool and the milk deets that maybe they could share the eye dangles. Well, the factoids did not make it a priority. <laughs> Well, in the terrifying moment, Hooper drops the tooth and it goes sinking down to the depths of the ocean, but he gets to keep the torso so he can mark that off the scavenger hunt list. Hey, (laughs) win-win. So now Hooper and the chief have to try and convince the mayor, look, we have a big problem. Now we have another dead person. But the mayor has bigger problems, and that's vandalism. rut Those hooligans need to be hung up by their Buster Browns. So someone has spray-painted a huge shark fin on a billboard that welcomes everyone to the town of Amity. How spicy. Well, of course, this is more important than uh, deciding whether or not to shut the beaches. But the mayor can't be convinced, and here comes the 4th of July and all the tourists. And there are so many rich white people. Many, many rich whites. It's (laughs) happening here. (laughs) And it's in this scene that we get a cameo by Peter Benchley, the author of the book Jaws. Uh, He appears as a very awkward TV journalist. Yeah, I love this fact because it's actually one that I didn't know until you had told me the first time. And of course, the book Nerd and Me immediately loved that. So I I think that's something that everybody should should know about this movie. I think that's so fun. Well, here we are on the beach. It is 4th of July. It is all hands on deck. It is shoulder to shoulder beachgoers. And Mikey, Brody's son, wants to sail his boat uh, but the chief wants him to put it in the pond, but the pond is for old ladies. I love old lady ponds. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I mean, that's where I go. It sounds relaxing, to be it honest. It sounds lovely. This, the, the, I feel like we got, okay, we've got frogs doing their frog sounds. We've got dragonflies. <laughs> I picture that it's warmer there than everywhere else. Yeah, because we're all vibing. We're there, living our best selves, thriving in our minds by ourselves in the old lady pond. (laughs) Well, Mikey is getting ready to find out what he's been missing, and he goes ahead and takes his sailboat to the pond. Well, it isn't long before a shark fin is spotted in the water, and swimmers go freaking nuts 
trying to get it out of the water. It is pandemonium. People are being trampled and people are panicking and crying and fat dudes are running over children. It, it, it's a mess. Yeah, it's it's pure chaos. Like you said, I think uh, the trampling is really kind of the more shocking parts of this scene because, yeah, you really do see the, the pure panic in people's faces as they're trying to just get out of the water and yeah they don't care who or what is in front of them and they're just getting out as fast as they can yeah there's an amazing shot here that kind of like becomes the epitome of a, a big budget feature kind of a creature feature moment where uh there's a woman in the water and she is holding her child who is clutching to her you know just arms tight around her neck and and she's screaming and there are people running and screaming around her and in the background this helicopter flies across and it's just this very dramatic moment mm-hmm. and it's just so over the top and just gleefully wonderful yeah i love this whole scene i think it just there's so much going on but it is i think it's just it's it's so fun and it really is I think a good introduction, kind of a good, I would say, transition scene, because we're really about to get into another big peak of the movie. And I think it is a good transition scene to kind of show you, like, you think things are crazy now, like it's it's about to get even crazier. Well, of course, it turns out this is all just based on a prank, and it's just a couple of kids swimming around with a fin. But just as things are starting to calm down again, someone else starts yelling shark and... Over in the old lady pond, another fin is spotted, and this is the real deal. It's not an old lady. <laughs> it is not an old lady with a fin. I know you all were wondering, but it is not. <laughs> we're just going to clarify that right now. Well, of course, Mikey is out on his boat on the pond, and also some weird dude in a tiny red boat. Who is this? Tiny red boat guy. <laughs> He's like... Hey guys, you okay over there? I, he's kind of creepy. He's like, do you know them? <laughs> Why are you just here right now? Well, I mean, it doesn't matter because in the background we see Finn headed straight toward Creepy Dude and is just abnormally small boat. I don't understand why it's so tiny. <laughs> and then we get just one of the most haunting shots in this entire film yes. and it's an overhead shot and the shark has is, is, uh, caused the boat to overturn and the guy's kind of slipping down and you can see the shark just under the water and it's the first time we've gotten a glimpse of the shark in, in any capacity other than you know a fin mm-hmm. and it is just so surreal and it really stuck with me just that imagery of just, it almost seemed to be in slow motion. Yeah, what I like about this scene is kind of what you said about, you know, how thus far we've only seen fins of the shark. And so this part kind of wakes us up to the fact that how well this movie has done at keeping us on the edge of our seat with really so little thus far, as far as vision uh, going and seeing the shark full it's done it so well and finally getting to kind of, you know, see a little bit more. Yeah. Like you said, it kind of all slows down for you and, it, it, and yeah, you're really kind of taking in the grandness of it all. And it just makes you realize how much bigger it is than, and then we all really anticipated. 
And, you know, the fact that we don't see the shark became out of necessity. You know, most people have heard about the fact that the mechanical shark, which everyone knows is named Bruce, Mm -hmm. uh, didn't work. (laughs) It was horrible. And so Spielberg had to come up with all these very creative ways to convey this character of the shark without actually seeing a lot of the shark. Yeah. And even what we do see, it's not very believable. It's, <laughs> it certainly doesn't hold up well. Uh, you're never going to look at it and go, oh, yes, that is absolutely a real shark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it's just been this amazing journey that you've been on. Mm-hmm. So having already been terrified up to this point in the movie of something you haven't even seen, it makes this first moment of getting this really eerie glimpse very, very effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, of course, our dude, he loses a leg. We see it sink to the bottom. The guy has lost his his life. And then we get a uh, shark swim by. The shark actually swims by Mike, who has, uh, his boat has also capsized. And so he's in the water. And he gets a little swim by of the shark and it puts him into shock. You know, actually that scene was actually supposed to be a lot more gruesome. Uh, What was supposed to happen is the shark attacks the creepy guy from the little red boat and gets him in his mouth and starts swimming off with him and swims next to Mikey and Mikey latches on to the creepy guy's body basically Mm -hmm. and he is being dragged along by the shark and eventually he lets go but that's what sends him into shock originally oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh but they can never get the shark to work so they can never get the scene to look right freaking bruce but still a swim by hey i'm right there with you mikey i i'd be in shock too (laughs) i i cannot blame the kid yeah plus He gets coffee ice cream out of it, so... Win-win. Again. Again. Well, the mayor hangs his head in shame and worries about his political career and signs the agreement for Brody uh, saying that he can hire Quint uh, because his kids were on that beach, too. Finally. It happens. So here we are. We're at the man's house. It's Quint's... I mean, house? Shop? Miracle Museum of Wonder. What is it? It's I don't know what it is. There are shark teeth jaws hanging everywhere, and mm-hmm. things are boiling in drums, and <laughs> it it is it is a sight to see. Yeah, it's like a weird science factory. Yeah, it, it like you said, Museum of Wonder. It's it's awesome. It's it's like this very old Vincent Price moment for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have he, he here's our our grand character of the film, and and he gets to have this big moment of introducing everyone to his world, and uh, it's just it's this great scene of what is to be our trio for the rest of the film. Yeah, and I think uh, they did such a good job in this environment of, of really kind of setting you up to, uh, kind of realize, further realize, I guess, the impact of what's, where they're going. You're surrounded, like you said, around these huge, huge mouths full of sharp teeth. And like you said, there's this kind of, I don't know what the word is, but the, the feeling of being in his environment and on his territory. Yeah. You kind of get that feeling of, of, 
grandeur from him. Yeah, I think it's just the perfect scene to kind of break that ice, uh, like you said, and in, introduce our main characters from this point on. Well, Hooper wants to help Quint hunt for porkers, but he has to tie some knots and show him his city hands first. You gotta follow Quint's rules if you're going on his boat. Makes sense. His boats, his rules. Well, after a tearful goodbye between Mr. and Miss Brody, we are off on our nautical adventure. So we're out on the ocean, and we're chumming, and we're fishing, and Hooper and Quint are crushing stuff. It's a manly thing. I, you know, who has the bigger pee-pee? I, I don't know what we're doing. You know, <laughs> they're just trying to be tough. It's it's very obvious that Quint and Hooper are, are not the best of friends. Yeah. Who, who can crush more stuff harder, more bigger? <laughs> uh, and the same was true between uh, Dreyfus and Shaw. They, they didn't get along very well either. You know, Dreyfus was this young up-and-coming star, and here's this old veteran in Robert Shaw. And I think Robert Shaw just really enjoyed giving Dreyfus a lot of shit. <laughs> And, of course, it drove Dreyfus crazy that he was drunk all the time, so. But then we have our foreshadowing scene where Brody almost knocks over the compressed air. And, of course, he gets chided by Hooper, who says, you know, what are you doing, Martin? Those things could blow up at any moment. They're they're actually quite safe, but uh, but we have to stress that we know that they can blow up because obviously that's going to be very important later. Just sprinkle that in. Place it in there. Well, as Quint is fishing, he gets a bite on the line in the middle of eating a cracker. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. It's it's something, it's so tiny. It's like this itty bitty, you know, it's just the size, smaller than a dime. And he sticks it in his jacket pocket. Just right in his front pocket. Just saving it for later. Just right on his breast pocket there. Don't want to waste it. Why? Emergency cracker for later. I mean, just what if he eat sees... it. No. It's so small. What if he sees a parrot? <laughs> Are there no more crackers? No. Is this the last cracker? They were very unprepared on the cracker front. I don't make the rules. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, regardless, it's fish on and the line takes off and they've hooked something big. Uh, now, Quint is convinced that it's their fish. Uh, Hooper's not so sure. Eventually, the line snaps and Quint tells Hooper not to tell him his damn business. Don't tell me my damn business. So time passes and no sign of Sharky yet. So Quint tells Brody to start chumming again. And surprise! One of the greatest jump scares ever. It's iconic. Yeah, and again, I mean, this is just an amped up version of the jump scare we were met with earlier, which was already done so well. This one, it's it's just, it's epic. Yeah, and of course, it leads to one of the best ad-lib lines in movie history. You're gonna need a bigger boat. It, 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 it's gonna live forever. Everybody knows it. Whether you've seen the movie or not, everybody has heard the line, you're going to need a bigger boat. Absolutely. Well, here comes the shark, and it is big. I mean, a really, really big. Hashtag big boy Bruce. (laughs) 
So Quint harpoons the shark with a barrel. And, and basically what they're trying to do here is attach these big, like 50 gallon drums that are full of air. And what should happen is it should be difficult for the shark to pull that underwater. And so if they could keep it to the surface and know where it is, hopefully they can attach it to the boat and drag it into the shallows and kill it. But the shark is so damn big, it takes it under like it's nothing. Yeah, in no time. So they end up calling it a night and we get just another amazing scene. And this is when they're all in the cabin of the boat, uh, just kind of having this guy's bonding moment. Yeah, and I know from the first time that I watched this movie with you, this is one of your favorite moments. Yeah, because here's a bunch of guys and they're sitting around and they're telling each other stories about how they got their scars and they're laughing and they're getting drunk. And it's the only time we've really seen our characters relaxed. Everything else has just been so intense. So it's a really nice break in what's been going on and you really get a lot of character development very quickly in just this one scene. And of course, the most amazing moment is when Robert Shaw as Quint gives his speech about the USS Indianapolis. Yeah, this one is so raw. It's so well done. It's one of those, it's it's so unexpected in this movie too. And I think that's what makes it so good is it just, it stops you for a minute and it, you know, when I, when I say unexpected, I, I really mean that because it is, it's in the middle of this horror movie, this whole speech. And yeah, it is, it's like you said, haunting, I think is definitely the best word to describe it because it really is. And it's really well done. You know, this monologue was written by Shaw himself after majorly screwing it up the first time they tried to film it. Uh, he was drunk the first time they tried to film it, and it did not go well at all. And after they stopped filming for the day and they all went home, later that night, Shaw calls Spielberg and says, Look, I am so sorry. Please give me another chance tomorrow. Uh, to shoot it again. And so Shaw comes in, he's sober, and he nails it in one take. And it's incredible. It is so mesmerizing. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, they they ended up doing other takes to get different camera angles. Uh, but the one where you're basically looking at Shaw head on mm -hmm. as he's delivering this speech is the one that's all one take and it is it's haunting. Yeah. And I I ask anyone to go back and watch that scene, but this time watch Richard Dreyfus behind Shaw because he has said in interviews and you can see it on his face, he was he was mesmerized by Shaw in that scene. Even though they didn't get along, he still respected his talent so much and he said you can see the the kind of just the awe on his face and you can it's 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 pretty cool uh but yeah just such an amazing moment that's really interesting too that he wrote that that was something that i wasn't aware of well it is highly historically inaccurate i don't think he gets 
much right outside the name of the ship. I mean, I mean, he doesn't even get the the date right that the ship sank. So, <laughs> uh, but it it doesn't matter. It's just <laughs> that's not what we're here for. Yeah, it's not what you're there for. This isn't a history <laughs> lesson. This is just to enjoy an amazing talent. Yeah, and then that is followed up by. Uh, just that amazing moment where they all start singing together and you just know that it's almost kind of like they're instant friends. It's three guys against this one foe and they've just instantly bonded. They're, they all have incredibly different backgrounds and they've come together over this one foe. Three man, one fish. <laughs> three man, one fish. Ooh. Wait. <laughs> That's that's it i'm not watching it <laughs> they're the three best friends I got, that anyone could have i got fooled by the last one yeah don't want it <laughs> don't want it <laughs> but of course we can't let our characters be happy for too long and here comes sharky a knocking at the side and he starts to try and destroy that boat guess what he's angry and this time it's personal. <laughs> you put a barrel in my butt. I'm coming for you. <laughs> you crossed the line, bud. So the shark has done so much damage to the boat that it's now taking on water. Eventually we end up getting two barrels in the shark and they try and tie it off onto the boat and it's still, the shark is way too powerful, and it actually starts pulling the boat backwards, taking them further out to sea. And, you know, Quint keeps telling uh, Hooper to keep pushing the engine, pushing the engine, and the engine can't take it. And, you know, they keep getting pulled backwards, so they finally have to just cut the shark from the boat and uh, let it take off. Yeah, again, this is one of those scenes that is very high anxiety. I think even if you're not one of those people going into this movie having a fear of sharks, I think you can appreciate that the fear, the tense fear of just uh, being pulled into a place that you're trying to get away from. You know, I feel like it's kind of that feeling that you have in that typical nightmare dream where you can't, you're running, but you can't get anywhere, you know? I That feeling is just so scary. And then, yeah, to have this giant-ass shark that you can't escape on top of it, no thanks. Absolutely. And you got two things going on here. Number one, now we have a, a big problem because this boat is definitely taking on water and mm-hmm. it is sinking. And so now you have this dual fear one is the fear of the shark, and two, a fear of drowning. Yeah. I mean, that that is terrifying. So a lot of people have that fear of drowning. So seeing this movie, not only do you have this anxiety of the shark is coming for your heroes, but you have this anxiety of, oh, this is triggering my fear of drowning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that absolutely is going to heighten the anxiety of the moment. And they do a really good job in this movie of of really showing you scale by kind of panning out a lot when they're out on that water. And so, yeah, you really do get that isolating feeling out in that boat because you you have they have a lot of shots of just the boat in this kind of vast amount of water. So, yeah, I think that only adds to that feeling of just sheer panic of being alone out there. And like you said, taking on water and there's nothing you can do about it. 
you know, that was done on purpose by Spielberg. And the funny thing is, is they were actually very close to land. They specifically chose this filming location because off Martha's Vineyard, you can go out pretty far from land, but still it's shallow enough that they could use the mechanical shark that they needed. And so he had to film in certain ways that you couldn't see land behind them. He wanted you to have that very isolated feeling uh, because he didn't want people to think, well, why don't they just turn around and head back toward land and yeah. everything will be fine. It, it needed to feel like they there's nothing they can do. They're stranded out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think it did a good job at doing that. So Brody starts to get really worried and uh, he tries to get on the radio and call for help. And Quint comes in and smashes the shit out of the radio. And, and now you, you're like, what the heck? Why? Why would you do this, dude? I, I don't understand. <laughs> what? How does that? Not a fan of radios. <laughs> I mean, it just shows you. I mean, the parallels between Jaws and Moby Dick are undeniable. And it just shows you just that, that just crazy, mindless tunnel vision. This is my enemy and Mm. I cannot stop until I have defeated it. Yeah. And he can't stand the thought of someone else having to come in to save him. Yeah. And him not being able to accomplish his mission. So, yeah, he is, uh, he's gone off the deep end at this point. Yeah. And basically anybody else there is at his mercy until, yeah, he conquers that enemy. So what are our guys supposed to do now? Here they stand on a slowly sinking ship while Sharky just keeps circling the boat. Uh, so they decide they're going to try and chance it and head towards shore. But that engine is not doing well. And frankly, neither was I at this point while watching the movie. I'm stressed. <laughs> Pretty stressed out? Yes. Well, the barrels are back up and uh, Sharky says, hey, I'm coming for you now. And so not only are they trying to get to shore to save themselves, now they got a shark chasing their ass. <laughs> so they keep trying to push the engine harder and harder and it gives out completely. Not the best timing. I'll be honest. And the minute we think the shark is going to come and attack the boat, down go the barrels under the water and Sharky just disappears. And that's just the worst. (laughs) Because you are all prepared for mayhem and uh, it goes very quiet. Yeah, he's he definitely likes teasing them by circling their boat and popping up and going back under. And it's not a fun game. Well, it's certainly fun for the audience. Well, at this point, with a dead engine and the boat going down, Quint passes out the life vests to everyone but himself, of course. So Hooper decides that now is the time that he needs to go down in the shark cage so he can take a needle and poke it in the shark and poison it to death. Sounds easy enough. So Hooper goes down in the water, and it's not long before our sharky comes a-knockin'. So the shark goes into full-on attack mode on the cage, splitting it open. Hooper does a little stabby-stabby on the shark and escapes through a hole made by the shark. Sharky is trapped and absolutely demolishes the cage. The shark breaks loose and the boys bring the cage to the surface, only to discover Hooper is gone. 
Yeah, this is a pretty significant scene because, again, we're here with our three main characters and now we're left with two, you know, and this is significant. And that cage scene is pretty intense. I mean, you could see this hole being ripped open, like you said, into the cage and it's very intense. And so, yeah, I think it's pretty uh, significant, especially on top of like what we've been saying thus far, you know, that feeling of isolation and and feeling of... uh, fear of drowning and everything like that and now we're down one team member basically it's it's very scary the stakes have definitely gotten very risky yeah and of course now we've added another fear that whole cage scene if you don't do well with enclosed spaces you know those shots around the cage and from inside the cage can give you a very claustrophobic feeling Mm -hmm. well and then it happens we have the most absurd scene <laughs> because the shark literally comes flying out of the water takes full fucking flight and lands on the boat as he should it's magical it's not a great effect it's pretty hmm, it was about it was it was before its time for sure <laughs> Well, of course, with the sinking ship listing to one side, basically Quint just slides right into the shark's mouth and, uh, oh, he's a goner. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a tough scene to watch. Uh, it's, it's pretty gruesome. A lot of nice blood here. It's pretty gory. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Of course, Quint goes down a fighting and tries to stabby stabby Mr. Sharky Sharky, but, uh, it's all over, and he is dragged under. And farewell, Robert Shaw. I tip my hat to you, sir. You are amazing in this film. It really was. Yeah, that. I feel like I can't even imagine this movie without him being a part of it. Well, Brody is our sole survivor, and he is down in the cabin in the boat that is quickly filling up with water. And in through the window pops Mr. Sharky. And uh, he's chomping. He's chomping, trying to get the chief. And it just so happens, floating next to him on the water is a can of compressed air. Bum, 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 bum. So Brody shoves that tank into the shark's mouth and the shark, I don't know, is is surprised. Oh, what's that in my mouth? (laughs) I didn't order this. (laughs) Hang on a second. Let me back up. Reassess what's going on. You didn't ask my permission. (laughs) So this gives Brody a chance to get out of the sinking ship and he makes his way to the ship's mast and climbs up to the top about the only thing that's still above water. He's got a rifle on him and here comes Sharky head on full speed and he's just chomping up and down and you can see that silver tank in his mouth and we all know what's coming and we get Brody's line smile you son of a bitch And Brody fires and returns the shark to the circle of life. He is now fish food. It's it's the epic scene of the movie. We've we've reached our peak. Our enemy has been blown to smithereens. And there's some good looking smithereens, if I might add. It's 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 some pretty gory goodness. Mm Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, we get a somewhat happy ending. Hooper is still alive. Yes, it's a pleasant surprise, for sure. But alas, the orca, the boat they they were on, did not, and it has sunk. So the boys are going to have to get their way in on flotation devices, the very barrels 
that were attached to the shark. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of come full circle. At, at least they're swimming sand shark now. So here's another crazy fact for you. So they used two boats for the orca when they were filming and the one they used for the sinking scenes when they were done filming, they towed it back to shore and then just left it there. So for years, it just sat out there and people heard about it. And so souvenir seekers would go out there and vandalize it and just take parts of it. And then, of course, just storms and the passage of time has pretty much destroyed the rest of it. But even though most of it is buried and only like the skeleton and part of the stern uh, remain visible, the wreckage of the orca can still be seen today and is reachable by boat. That's really cool. I mean, how cool would that be to just go on vacation and, oh yeah, by the way, this is the boat they use in Jaws. You would die. I would die. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine having a piece of that boat either. That'd be cool. We could put it in the pod room. <laughs> it would make a great little trinket in here. We don't have enough. Everyone needs a good knickknack. <laughs> Everybody likes a little present from vacation. Who needs snow globes? Did you bring me a t-shirt? Nah, I brought you the Jaws boat. <laughs> and through the credits, we see our uh, remaining heroes have made their way to shore. And all is right with the world. Until Jaws 2. The Jawsening. Oh, shit. <laughs> Look at you coming in with the background music. <laughs> all right. So just like we did last episode and like we will continue to do each episode, with all the movies that we watch, we ask ourselves some core questions throughout. Um, and the first question that we ask ourselves is, what was the popcorn spiller for us? Uh, so what was your popcorn spiller for Jaws? You know, for me, believe it or not, I've got to say it's Chrissy's death at the beginning. And I feel like that's probably not a popular one. But, you know, for me, it's always about the psychological scare. Uh, That's what really gets to me. And this movie literally instilled a fear in me that I have to this day. Mm -hmm. I do not like to be in water where I can't see my surroundings. And I refuse to get in water any deeper than my ankles. You know, I I used to live on the Gulf Coast and we'd go down to the beach all the time, but I'd never get in the water. It's just, it's, I'm terrified. Yeah. And so that, that opening scene where you cannot see anything around her and, and you're not sure what's happening. I mean, of course we all know that this is a shark movie, but, but really what is going on underneath the water? You know, when I first saw this movie, I, I had to be like eight years old and I saw it on television, but I just remember everything about it being horrifying. And there's something else about this movie, and we'll get to that in a second, that really drives this home. But but yeah, for me, it is all about that darkness, that that obstruction of view, not seeing what's coming for you. And and this this is where that fear started for me. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. I think for me, I I ended up writing down it's kind of that initial scene um, where we're out on the orca with our three main characters and we have that first scene where the shark really begins to kind of circle the boat and I know that it kind of seems like a mundane scene in the grand scheme of things when especially because from then on it kind of ramps up 
But I really like that scene because I really think that it kind of sets the tone that, you know, this isn't going to be an easy job, basically. They're not going to be able to just catch this guy. Like, he's aware that they are there and he knows what they're what they're trying to do. And he's basically going to make a game out of it. And I just love that scene that, that sets up basically the rest of this movie and what is going to be the climax of the movie. I think it's really a really well done scene. All right, so our next category, what was your favorite scene stealer? So for me, I think it's just got to be Quentin that chalkboard scene. I The scene itself is meant to be a scene stealer scene. I mean, he comes in there and he wants all eyes on him. And I think it's a well done scene and it, it does exactly what it's meant to do. And yeah, that's always the one, like I said, from the get go, that's that scene. I, I know it's coming every time, but it never... Uh, ceases to give me chills and so yeah I think that's that's always going to be a scene stealer for me yeah he was absolutely phenomenal in this of course uh but I mean for me we've already said it it's my boy Matt Hooper again I just I can't tell you what it is that's so endearing to me about that character in this movie uh I just I just really he and he somehow makes me so nostalgic he just reminds me of seeing this when I was younger kind of thing. So I just really enjoyed that character. So that's my scene stealer. It makes sense. I wouldn't have guessed anything else for you. So next up, we discuss our favorite gorgasm. So what was yours? Oh, for me, it's got to be Alex Kittner's death. You know, just the way that all you see is just kind of that shark fin roll over and and then you see his body kind of flop to the side and then all this blood kind of gushes up. It's super effective. And and again, it's another one of those shots that came about because that damn shark wasn't working and they could only get it to like because it was supposed to you see the shark come out of the water and actually take Alex into his mouth and take him underwater, but they could never get it to work right. So all they could do was get it to flip on its side and they used it and it turned out amazing. I mm-hmm. mean, it's super effective and just really haunting just to see this fish roll over because that's exactly how a shark would attack. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. For me, I ended up noting down that it's the scene on the boat, uh, the post-flying scene, if you will, when the attack has happened. And for me, it's not so much the blood. It's more so the sound effects during the scene. Um, There's a lot of bone crunching sounds happening when, you know, the knee uh, is being cut in half with uh, shark teeth. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very cringy. And I think that just speaks volumes for the Foley artist for the movie here because they did a really good job in capturing those really gritty, bone crunching sounds in that scene and it's really effective i think yeah well this movie did win the academy award for best sound well that makes sense for sure all right so what was your favorite memorable mortality well for me i've got to bring it back around to the first death of the movie which is chrissy um like you said i think a lot of people don't tend to really make much of this scene but i know with horror comes a lot of memories i think for horror fans of when you saw the movie who you saw it with you know, what followed you after the movie as far as like what kept you scared and stuff like that. And for this movie, I remember specifically watching it with um, some cousins and my aunts and going into the movie, I knew it was a horror movie because they had told me, uh, but because I didn't really have that standing fear of water or sharks, I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. No big deal. But 
being hit with that first scene of this really kind of aggressive death against uh, Chrissy and right, like I said, pretty well one of the opening scenes, it really kind of set in motion for me like, oh, okay, this is actually like a really legitimate, this is like a real horror movie. Got it. Okay, noted. Uh, so yeah, I think for me, that's always one of the most memorable because it really is the first one that kind of like, I mean, no pun intended, but kind of like sunk its teeth in for me that really made me realize that it was legitimately a scary movie for other reasons besides it being a shark movie. How about for you? Yeah, for me, I gotta go with the creepy dude that was killed in the little red boat. Uh, That scene is just so, like I said, haunting to me. And it, it all goes back to what's just beneath the surface and just seeing just this blurred almost silhouette of this shark just just kind of coming in and grabbing this guy is just it's bone chilling to me and it's it's definitely imagery that has stuck with me for sure all right so then that leaves us with our last question and I think this one's going to be an easy one to answer this week and that is do we put it in the vault for us to keep forever or do we leave it behind in the dead zone Oh, this one's got to go in the vault for sure. Oh, yeah. The, there wasn't even a decision to make. It It has to be done. It, it's a classic. Yeah, and it's a classic for many reasons. I mean, like you said, the score alone is, is so well done. And I think it did a really great job at um, kind of breaking barriers for creature horror and for water horror, uh, you know, and especially for, you know, there's so many shark movies out there now that, I know that you and I love, I'll watch any sort of shark horror movie, even if it's awful. I don't know what it is, but I love every single one of them. And I really don't think that a lot of them would do what they do if it wasn't for Jaws, because a lot of them do, I mean, and maybe subconsciously do a lot of what Jaws did. And I think that's just because it is such a small niche of horror, but Jaws really set that foundation. And and, and yeah, I think it really was, like I said, there wasn't even a question. It it had to go in the vault. It's it's one of, it's one of your all time favorites, and for that, yeah, wasn't even a question. Yeah, I I agree completely. There there was never a question that this was going in the vault. You know, this movie holds a very special place in my little horror heart. You know, when this movie came out, I was five years old. Yes, I am that old, and. I remember this movie being all the rage and I remember seeing the trailer for it on TV and just from seeing the trailer and hearing that music in the trailer, I was already terrified of it and hearing all the stories about how scared people were seeing this movie. And so my parents uh, went out on a date night and went to go see the movie and of course left me at home with a sitter. And I remember being so anxious when I got up the next morning and so excited to be able to ask them what was the experience like. And my mom tells me, she says, Whitney, I have never seen your father jump so high as when that shark popped his head out of the water. And little kids, they think their dad is a hero. They mm-hmm. idolize their dads. They can do no wrong. They're strong. They'll protect them. They're always safe around their dad. And so for me to hear that something actually scared my father, who is the bravest man that I know, then I knew this had to be the scariest movie ever made. Mm-hmm. 
Because if it's scary enough for my dad, it's 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 way too much. <laughs> it's too the much. scariest movie of all time. Yes. Yeah. So even before I ever saw the movie, I, I already had this bias against it, that it was just going to be horrifying. And it was, but delightfully so. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect way to describe this movie. It, uh, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier about the perfect combination of comedy and horror. And I think that's exactly what this movie is, is it's kind of a delightful horror. You get two good sides to the coin of this, you know, in this movie. You've got comedy and horror, and it's both, it's done well in a way that it's balanced, and you never feel like either way is done too much. And, and granted now, yeah, you know, watching it in hindsight, some of it's cheesy, and like you said, poor Bruce just didn't didn't hold up. But you look past that because it's so, it's quirky and it's good and it's funny and it's well done and it's highly esteemed for a reason and that's because it it hits all the marks, it checks all the boxes and, you know, I think whether you're a horror fan or not, I think anybody can sit down and find something in this movie to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. It's so well done and it's always so great when you hear these backstories about how just because things were going wrong, uh, they just simply found ways to work around it. And it ended up being so much better than if it had worked correctly in the first place. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just makes the movie that much more endearing. Yeah, absolutely. This movie's just um, (laughs) a whole set of happy accidents, basically. (laughs) Well, thanks for watching it again with me. Of course. It's it's one of my favorites to watch with you just because I can truly see how much you enjoy it and uh, my favorite is every time we watch it you always have to like tell me like, hey, if I'm quoting it too much, just tell me to, to calm down. And I always just think that's so funny because I, half the time I don't even notice, but I just think it's so fun. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode number two is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. There's no money's honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through our hometown. Lastly, don't forget to check out the link tree URL on our show notes to check out our socials and letterbox so you can keep up with all the movies we're watching. And be sure to join us next week where we're going to be watching The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, it's another good one. It's going to be a really good one. I'm excited. A big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. They absolutely killed it last weekend. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend showing, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. So, 
I, I, you know, I practice self-care and, you know, treat myself. And for me, that includes little, um, stickers for my pimples. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot that I had one of those on and I just felt it on my face and I thought <laughs> that I had like a scale or I, I didn't even, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. And I got worried for a second, so. But then I remembered and everything is okay. But for real, for a second, I pictured like a, I don't even know, a scale or something. (laughs) Something from a fish. (laughs) Or a snake. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't like it. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.